And that is where we're at in our Advent series. We are focused today on hope. Hopefully you appreciated having the kids come up today. Uh, what, I, what I really gathered from that is that there are some adults in this room that could really step up their in, uh, enthusiasm when it comes to singing. Uh, you could be singing a lot more enthusiastically if you didn't care what everybody else thought. So come on. Let's worship in that way, like you're a seven-year-old child. So we are uh, in our fourth week. We've covered love, joy peace, which is shalom, and today we are focused on hope. Hope really is something that is a byproduct of the other four. There's a reason that I am doing this in this order, love, joy, peace, and hope, because hope is the natural outflowing of everything else that I've already experienced in life. Love is the foundation. We learned that in week one. It creates joy in my heart, followed by the idea of shalom, which is fullness and completeness and wholeness. That is, uh, by the way, that's my identity, my new identity in Christ, wholeness, completeness, and fullness. And it's followed by a hope that begins to pour out of my life, hope in the long days and nights of life that lay ahead. We're going to talk about what that means as we get through this message today. One of my favorite uh, Christmas hymns that you know probably very well, O Holy Night. And if you read the lyrics of O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining, and I'm not going to sing it for you here today. You're welcome. Uh, it is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. That idea, that thrill of hope is so urgently needed in life. It's one of the most powerful forces in all of life. Hope gives us security. Hope gives us a future. Hope gives us a purpose. It gives us a focus. Hope gives us meaning. Hope is an anchor to our soul. It's like the fuel that keeps an engine running. Hope is so vitally urgent in life. It is what Dr. Judith Rich says of it. Hope is a match in a dark tunnel. A moment of light, just enough to reveal the path ahead and ultimately the way out. Without hope, life is meaningless, it is empty, it in many ways feels not worth living. But with hope, we have the fuel to keep going to be who God wants us to be and to keep looking ahead at what God wants us to focus on. Let's pray this morning and then talk about what hope is and why we so desperately need it. Father, I pray for you to help us. Help us to learn and to grow in the knowledge of hope. Help us to be overflowing with hope, as your word tells us, despite our circumstances. Despite dark times ahead, Lord, help us to be overflowing with that kind of hope. Lord, teach us through your word what we need to learn about hope and how it changes us. How it becomes the focal point of our lives and how it directs our steps as we go forward. Help us to see that that hope is a, is a light in a dark tunnel that we need to be focused on. Show us your truth and help us to learn and grow in your grace here today. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
let's talk about what hope is and what hope isn't. The Bible gives us a pretty good definition. We go to the Bible a lot to understand what the ideas are that are being communicated. In the Bible, out of Romans chapter 15, verses 4 and 13, it says this about hope. It says, for whatever was written before was written for our instruction so that through patience and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There's that word. Where does hope come from? Well, it comes from what was written before. What was written before was written for our instruction so that through patience, that means the ability to wait, long suffering and encouragement, we might have hope. The encouragement comes from God's word given. Now, Paul was writing this about the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament that we know today. That was not even thought of. Paul was writing a letter of encouragement to the people in Rome, and he was saying that the Old Testament given to you was given for one single purpose, and that was to encourage you so that you might have hope. That you would be patient, that you would wait on God, and then you would have hope in life. We can also combine that with the New Testament. We have the New Testament. That is given by God to give us hope. It was given to give us patience and encouragement and hope. So let me ask you this question. If you don't feel encouraged, if you don't feel hopeful, are you spending time in God's word? Because my guess would be no, you're not. Because that's where hope and encouragement comes from, being in the word of God. So the scriptures were given to us so that we might have hope. Now, verse 13, now may the God of hope, that is who God is. He is a God of hope. He is not a God of condemnation. He is not a God of ridicule. He's not a God of shame. He is not a God of impatience and hopelessness. He is the God of hope. May he fill you with all joy and shalom. Now, what have we talked about the past couple of weeks? That the love of God fills us with joy and shalom, wholeness, completeness, entirety, entrusting so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the byproduct and why we do this fourth in this series. Love comes down, fills our hearts with joy, fills our hearts with peace, and then we have hope. And hope starts to overflow. Kind of like a fountain or a glass of water that is so full, it just spills out everywhere it goes. That's the kind of hope that we need, hope that just spills out of our lives. Let's talk about the definition of what hope means. Now, you learned this from the video. But hope is this. Hope is, different from optimism, hope is the favorable and confident anticipation and expectation of good. It is a future hope, a confident expectation and anticipation of the goodness of God despite what I am going through here and now. I may be going through hard times. There may be difficulties that lie ahead, but I have something more that I can look forward to, and that is what hope is. It is a confident expectation and anticipation of the goodness of God. And the goodness of God transcends the here and now. It is for eternity, and that's what I look forward to with hope. In the Peanuts comic strip, and I shared one last week, had to share one again this week, Sally and Linus are talking. 
And Sally says to Linus, go get me a glass of water. And Linus says, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. To which Sally says, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. Linus gets up and goes to get the water. Life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. That is what hope is. It is how I can look forward in life. One of the most famous verses in all of the Bible that talks about hope is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And I would guess that this is one that many of you have on a plaque in your home or a coffee mug somewhere or a bumper sticker somewhere. You have this verse plastered. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future (coughs) and a hope. That's a great verse. It's an awesome verse. It is a life promise verse for many people who walk with God. The problem is that verse sometimes communicates to people that they believe God will never, never, ever allow anything bad to happen in their lives. There would never be any suffering. There will never be any pain. There will never be any hardships because God has promised me a future and a hope. Well, the problem is that verses that get taken out of context lead to incredible disappointment in life. In fact, I would say it this way. Promises taken out of context lead to extreme disappointment. But promises taken in context lead to extreme comfort. I want you to know the backstory behind Jeremiah 29.11. The people of God were going through some very hard times in life. The people of God had been overrun by the nation and would be taken to Babylon. They would be run over by this nation and they would be plundered. The nation would essentially be wiped out and people would be taken into captivity and that captivity would last a little while. That captivity was going to really affect their lives and God came in and said, in the midst of that, I want to give you some hope. I want to give you this verse. Did you know that the people were given this promise of God 70 years before good things would come back into their lives? In fact, the context of this verse is the previous verse right before Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Verses, verse 29, or chapter 29, verse 12, it says, or 10, it says this. For thus says the Lord... When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. 70 years before the verse was given, or 70 years from the time the verse was given to the time that it would actually be fulfilled. That is the context of that verse. Put yourself in those shoes. You have just been taken over by Babylon. You've been marched into captivity. Life feels meaningless, purposeless, hopeless. And God says to you, I have a hope. I have a future for you. But it's 70 years down the line. How do you feel knowing that God will not answer every prayer the way that you want it to be answered immediately? See, I have a problem with that because we live in a nation that wants things immediately. If we're hungry, 
We don't have to wait for food to grow, and we don't have to harvest food, and we don't have to cook the food. You just run through a fast food restaurant. If you're hungry, let's say you're craving a certain vegetable. Let's say you love tomatoes. Now, I know that's a, that's a divisive issue. I don't mean to be divisive in church. Some of you hate tomatoes. Some of you love them. You know what's great is garden-grown fresh tomatoes that come out of the garden in August there. It's so wonderful. But if you're hungry for a tomato, you can go to the grocery store in the middle of winter and pick up these things that are tomato-like, and they're cardboard and styrofoam, and they have no flavor, and you can get instantaneous relief. Waiting is hard. Waiting is difficult. I find this in working with youth, waiting for just the right boy, waiting for just the right girl, not jumping into who does God want for me, or not waiting for who does God want for me. No, it's what I want instantaneously. We are a culture who wants instant rather than waiting on God. This verse was given to people 70 years before it would be fulfilled. Can you honestly say in your life that you could wait 70 years for what God wants to accomplish rather than getting it immediately today? The verse says this, it's going to come 70 years from now. When 70 years are completed, I will visit you. I will fulfill my promise. I have a plan, but it's 70 years down the line. Hope is the ability to say, God... It's not my time. It's not my will. It's not my plan. It's yours. And I will surrender my ideas, my thoughts, my plans to you, and I will allow you to accomplish what you want to accomplish, even if it takes 70 years. When you can come to that point in life, you start to then experience what real hope is. Hope doesn't quit because the answer doesn't happen immediately. Hope keeps going until God finally answers. That's what biblical hope is. In the middle of all of that, God gave them even more context. In the middle of him saying, after 70 years, I will come back and I will give you a future and a promise. He told them, just live your life. Live out your life. Enjoy life and wait on me. In Jeremiah 29, verses 4 through 7, which are the verses leading up to verse 11, here's what God says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. What is he saying? He's saying, have a career, build a house, get married, have children, be a part of the community, live life, enjoy the blessings of God, but don't ever put your hope in this world and in this place. Instead, put your hope in who God is. 
When I first moved to Gillette, which would have been with my parents in 1979, I know, that's a long time ago. I was only a kid. I was in, I think I was 11 years old at the time, 10 years old. No, I was eight years old. I don't know how old I was. When I moved here, I guess it was 1980 when we moved here. Okay. Anyway, when we moved here, Gillette felt like the desert. It felt like I'm being abandoned here. There's nothing here. I'm moving away from friends. I'm moving away from people that I know. Moving away from family to come to this place. Some of you have felt that exact same thing. Gillette is not a destination. Gillette is a place that maybe you're passing through for a while. Maybe Gillette became a place that God moved you here because he wanted you to be here for a certain season and a certain time. And just like this, you have felt like God has exiled me into this place. I don't know what I have done. How have I messed up? God is putting me here for a time, for a season. I don't know why I'm here in this place. And God says, while you're here, be a part of the community. Build houses. Take a family. Plant a garden. Have a career. Pray for the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf while you're there. Gillette is not the destination. The United States is not the destination. Our country is nowhere near what it was 20 or 30 years ago. Our country feels more and more like it's falling apart. That's because we don't have the United States as a destination. This is not our hope. Our hope is something beyond. And that's what the people of Israel felt Their hope was not in that place. Their hope was for what God was going to do in the future. And that's why God gives them the verse, for I know the plans that I have for you. Let's let's talk about this verse for just a second. He says, I know the plans I have. What, What does that mean to us? They're God's plans. They're not my plans. He is the author and creator of life. He is the almighty king. It's not my plans. God cares about me, but it's not really about what I want. It's not about what I want to happen. It's what God wants to happen. I know the plans that I have. You know, the first statement and the first step in understanding hope is to say this, God, it's not about me. If you feel like life is about you, you will never have hope. But if you realize that it's not your plans, it's God's plans, you will start to experience what hope really is. The step of surrender to say, God, I will follow wherever you lead. I will go wherever you tell me to go. I will do whatever you tell me to do. It's your plans, not mine. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he was teaching the disciples how to pray. Pray in this way, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the first step of the Lord's Prayer. What is that about? It's not my kingdom, it's your kingdom. It's not my will, it's your will. It's not my name to be hallowed, it's your name to be hallowed. If I want to experience hope... I have to start with surrender. God, it's your plans, not mine. Now notice this. I know the plans I have, God says. They are for you. 
That's the next little phrase. They are given for the nation of Israel, but we, as believers in Jesus, are grafted in to the nation of Israel. We become what's really known as the true Israel. The plans are for you. You are sitting here today. God has a plan for you and your life. And it's up to you to say, I will surrender to that. God, what your plan is, that's what I want to be in line with. I want to date who you want me to date, marry who you want me to marry, live where you want me to live, be in the career you want me to be in, affect the people you want me to be in, manage my finances the way you want me to, live out my life because it's your plans and they're for me. And I want to be in line with that. And then he says, says this, the plans, declares the Lord, are plans for welfare. Now, that is not the welfare system that we know today in the United States. That's not what he's saying. I have plans that you will be on the welfare system. No, the word welfare, interestingly enough, is the Hebrew word shalom. That's the word. We could even take that out. I have plans for shalom. We learned about that last week. What does that mean? Well, that means God has a plan to make you whole, to make you complete, to make you who he wants you to be. I have plans. They are for you. They're plans for shalom and not for evil. God is omnibenevolent, always good. And he has plans only to bless and not to harm you. Like a father or a mother with their children. I don't want to harm you, but sometimes I will discipline you because it is for your good. I don't have plans, God says, for evil. People wrestle with this all the time. Well, how could a loving God allow these things to happen? That's not God's plan. That's not God's doing. God has plans for good, not for evil, to give you a future. That's what his plan is. It's not immediate. It is in the future. I'm not worried about your comfort here and now. I am worried about your future. For your children, you could probably also say that. I am not here for your comfort here and now. I'm worried about your future. That's what I'm focused on. Who are you becoming in the future? I don't care if you get every little toy that you possibly want today. I want to make sure that you're a good adult in the future who loves God and who can raise a good family. I have a plan for the future. And then I have a plan to you for hope. Hope, again, the confident expectation and anticipation of something good in that future. That's what hope is. Hope is I surrender to the Lord's plans. They're for me. He's got the best in mind for me, even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes. There are plans for completeness in my life. He wants to give me a future, and he wants to give me hope. Do you have that? That is what hope is. The confident anticipation of the goodness of God in my life. Now, when I have that, I can hang on through every difficult circumstance that I face. We have people among us today who are in difficult circumstances. Rough times ahead. The nation is in rough times ahead. 
Do you know that right now our nation, economically, we are a train wreck. The government has spent so much money that we can't service even the interest on the debt that we carry in our country. There's no overcoming this. There's no way coming back from this. We are a mess economically. Our bonds have been downgraded across the world because we are such a mess economically. There is a storm brewing financially. I'm not going to predict when that will happen, how that will happen, what that will look like. If your hope is in your stock portfolio, your retirement account, if it's in your checking account, if it's in your job, and if that goes away, your hope is gone. Our hope has to be more, a future anticipation. Morally and ethically, our, com- our country is a train wreck. Morally and ethically, we have walked away and denied God. There has been a movement abroad for, uh, not abroad, in the country, but there's been a movement afoot, I should say, over the past several decades to remove who God is, to destroy the family, to destroy who we are as a culture. And most of the country has bought into that. We are a train wreck socially, emotionally, mentally, All of that, if that's where your hope lies, it's going to be gone. Our hope has to be more. It has to be bigger, and it has to be greater. God gives us what hope is supposed to be. Well, as we end this today, I want to give you three things, three principles that hope really accomplishes in our lives. Something that I want you to remember and take away with this today. Number one, principle number one, is what we've talked about. Hope focuses on the future. Hope does not focus on tomorrow. It does not focus on a week from now. It focuses on the distant future. Ultimately, for a Christian, the hope is eternity with him. Our life is a mist. It is a vapor, the book of James says. It is short That's not where our hope is. Our hope is in eternity. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not, not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In other words, God has something so grand and so great, and that's where our hope lies. 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul writes and says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Think about that. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined. We can imagine a lot. And the imaginations that we have are insignificant compared to what God actually has. That's where hope lies. Hope lies in God, in the future, not in the here and now. Live life, build homes, have a career, have a family, pray for the community, but hope ultimately in the future where God wants us to hope. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, for this world is not our home. We are looking forward. What is looking forward? We are hoping. We look forward with hope to our everlasting home in heaven. 
With Jesus' help, we will continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by telling others of the glory of his name. That's where hope is. Hope focuses on the future. It cannot focus on the here and now. It can't focus on your present circumstances. Hope has to lie in what God has in store for those who love him. Number two, hope brings purpose and motivation. The hope that we have is the, as I mentioned before, it is the fuel to the engine and it keeps us motivated and going forward. The people, the reason people get so depressed and so overwhelmed is because they don't have that. And if you don't have hope, there's nothing. Hope gives us purpose. It gives us motivation. Psalm 42, 5, it says this, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? It's a person really having a conversation within themselves. Why am I struggling? Why am I so depressed? Why am I so cast down? Am I looking at me? Is it about my plans? And then he answers himself, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It gives me the motivation to pull myself out where I'm at. I can't focus on this. I have to look forward to who God is and what God has promised. That's what biblical hope is. Finally, principle number three, hope then sustains our daily living. It, it's like it gives us the energy to get out of bed. It gives us the energy to do what we need to do. It sustains our daily lives. Psalmist in Psalm 71 says, but I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. It becomes the attitude of my heart every day. God, my hope is in you. It's not my plans, it's your plans. You have plans for me. These are plans not to, not to harm me, but to bring shalom into my life. It's not plans for destruction and condemnation and evil. It's plans for good. It's a future. It's a hope. This is the plan you have for me. It's not here and now. Maybe it's 70 years down the line, but that's where hope truly lies. Titus chapter 2, and we'll close with these words. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. How do we do that? Well, we are waiting for our blessed hope. As we wait for hope, it trains us and it sustains us daily to renounce the things of the world, to live self-controlled lives, to live upright lives because we're waiting for that blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We are waiting for the blessed hope that we have. That's the hope that God gives us. It starts with his love. Love that comes down to this world. It's the love of him giving his one and only son. That who would ever believe in him would have salvation. When you accept the love of God coming down for you, it fills your heart with joy. And when you have a heart that's filled with joy, 
you start to have shalom, completeness, wholeness, and peace. And when I start to have that in my soul, I have hope. And that hope just is pouring out. It's overflowing out of me. It doesn't come from me. It comes from the God of hope who has given it to me. How do I tap into that? I tap into that by saying, God, it's not my will but yours. It's not my plans but yours. It's not my kingdom. It's about yours. It's not about my name. It's about yours. It's what you want for my life. I want to be in alignment with what you want for me, God, because I know that you have plans for me. And when I get myself in alignment with God, I start to look to the future with hope and anticipation and confident expectation of the goodness that God has. Do you have that kind of hope here today? As we close, we're going to pray. I just want to pray for you, pray for those who are watching here today. And if you don't have that kind of hope, I'd encourage you to not only begin to pray, but begin to look within and say, have I really experienced the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God? Have I really surrendered my heart to the Lord? Am I really walking in step with him? Am I in his word? Because his word gives me that kind of hope. And as I do that, God begins to do something incredible in my life. Let's pray as we close. Father God, help us to have the kind of hope that you talk about in your word. Not optimism, not misbelief that we think it's just going to all be magically okay tomorrow, but to have real, true, biblical hope. This world is not our home. What we're going through today is temporary. We have an eternity with you. Our eyes have never seen this. Our ears have never heard this. Our minds have never imagined what you have in store for those who love you. There is something so much greater and so much more spectacular and so much better than anything in this world, anything that this world has to offer. That, Lord, we don't want to sacrifice the future for the immediate. We don't want to sacrifice the permanent for the temporary. So, Lord, help us. Help us not to be attached to the world, but to look to you with hope. Thank you for being with us today, Lord. Thank you for this series on Advent where we can look at your love, your joy, your shalom, and your hope that you have brought down to all people. As we leave this place, Lord, and as we prepare for Christmas next weekend, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be touched by your grace, that we would be overwhelmed by the fact that you love us enough, that you've offered us a way, that you've given your son as a sacrifice for sin, that whoever would believe in him would have life eternal with you. I pray, Father, for those in this room and those watching that we would have made that decision to say, yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. And I need you, Lord, to give me joy, shalom, and the hope that my heart desperately needs. Thank you for this time to, together, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great, wonderful Christmas week. And see you back here for Christmas Eve services in the morning and in the evening next Sunday.